Okay, well, we're going to continue on in our series. We've been doing a sermon series called Life with Jesus. And basically, we think that this way describes a little bit better what it means to share our life with Jesus with other people. Some people don't understand the E word, evangelism, or missions, or whatever. But really, our life with Jesus should come out of who we are. It should be an extension of who we are to other people. So we've been doing that. We've been trying to explore it. And uh, last week, we talked about some fun stuff. This week, we're going to talk about some fun stuff, too. And today, we're talking about the surprising life. I want my life to be surprising. And by that, I mean surprisingly good, not surprisingly bad. <laughs> like, surprise, I'm mean. I want to be a nice guy. I want to be the kind of guy that is generous, both in front of people and then behind the scenes. As I grow older, I want people to say he's become uh, more loving, more generous, more kind, more giving. As, as you get older, I don't think you want to become more curmudgeoned or difficult or closed-minded or cynical. You want to become somebody that's surprising, somebody that's excited, uh, somebody when you walk into a room, people are excited to see. And when you leave a room, people are sad to see you go. And part of that is developing the internal life and the external practices so that you can become that. And when we look at the early church, we see that the early church, right after Jesus left uh, to, go to, to go to heaven, we see that the early church was very surprising. And there was something happening in their community at the time that made them surprising and exciting to the outside watching world. Do you guys know the story? So basically, Jesus dies, and then he comes back to life, and people are like, what's up with that? And, they, and he immediately <laughs> hangs out for 40 days, excuse me, it's, he hangs out for 40 days, and then he's like, I'm going um, to go back to heaven, okay? So he gathers the 12 disciples, and he's like, this is my last words. In 40 days, um, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They're like, what's that? And he'll be like, you'll find out. And so he's like, and here, go preach the word and do all these things. And then he goes, he ascends into heaven. And then he somehow disappears. Don't know exactly how that works. That would be a fun one to see. Do you agree? To see like Jesus float in the air and then all of a sudden he's gone. They can't see him. Would like to see that one. So he says, in a few days you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he ascends in the sky. And the disciples sit around for 40 days, hiding out, not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, 40 days later, on the day of Pentecost, uh, with the day we celebrate Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up. And he does some these miraculous signs and wonders with the disciples. They are able all of a sudden to speak in other languages, not their own, and communicate the love of Jesus to people who were visiting in Jerusalem at that time. They're able to do miracles all of a sudden. And Peter, filled with, says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he preaches this message. He preaches a message, a gospel message. He says, you need to follow Jesus. Turn away from your other things and start to follow Jesus. And 2,000 people, Jewish people around Jerusalem go, that sounds like a good idea. Boom, the early church was born. And so there's all these people coming into life with Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is where it gets surprising. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we see some key things that you and I can learn about how to live a surprising life. You can follow along with me on the screen. Um, don't read it out loud. Read it to yourself. I may have given you mixed instructions there. Don't. I mean, 
you, Lupita, you can read along with me. All right, go. <laughs> Don't, though. All right, so Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. The day, this means the disciples, or the apostles, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's a key. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's what you need to see. How the disciples lived their life mattered. The disciples, what do we see? What does it say? It says they devoted themselves to each other. They ate together. They prayed together. They served together. It says that they held everything in common due to their connection to God. And they chose to share their time and their money and their resources uh, and their emotion, they had emotional availability to one another. And what we see in here in Acts is that the disciples did two key things. First, they were they shared. They shared. The early church chose to share their resources. Please notice that there was no government mandates, no laws in place that said that they had to share their belongings with other people, to share their money with other people. If you are a person who prefers a small government and you don't want a large government or you don't feel like the government should be involved in your money, one of the things you can do is choose to be generous and share. And here's what we have. The government is not imposing a view of sharing. These people, because of what God did in their hearts, what Jesus was doing in the moment, they were sharing their resources. Who does that? Who sells all their possessions and then they just hand out the cash to anyone who has need? Who sells their all belongings just to share it with other believers? The other thing that we see here that's very important is that the early church was radically inclusive. Radically inclusive. They brought in everybody. Here's a fun quote from a historian and a missiologist, Michael Frost. Christians opened their fellowship to anyone, irrespective of ethnicity, and they promoted social relations between the sexes and within families. They were literally the most surprising alternative society, and their conduct raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Jew and the average Roman. What's happening here? These people are coming together. And because of this radical way of living, because of the miracles, like bona fide miracles, people are getting healed in front of them. Because of, they were a good hang. Do you know what a good hang is? It's not a bad hang. It's a good hang. You're fun to be with. Uh, Cam has a saying that he'll only do gigs like ours if, it's, if it pays well and it's a good hang. And we do both. So, so. <laughs> Is that still true? Okay. <laughs> okay. They were a good hang. They were good to be around. Because of how they treated each other, 
not just everybody in the outside world, because of how the early church treated each other, because of how they welcomed outsiders. They were porous. You could get involved. You could be included in how they were treating one another. The story says that God, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Random people off the street are encountering the living God. And the early church was so surprising that the outside was looking in at the lives of these people and they were saying, I want that. There's power there. There's love there. There's something for my life there. My challenge to you is this. Would you be willing to build your life? Would you be will, willing to orient your life so that it's surprising to the outside watching world? Some of you follow Jesus. Many of you in this room follow Jesus. I'm not like actually judging you right now and saying, hmm, who's a real Christian? Some of, most, some of you are trying to follow Jesus. One of the things that you have in your back pocket, one of the secrets you have, is the surprising life because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you be willing to live a surprising life? If so, I'd like to show you a few ways of how you can do that. And we can, we learned this, uh, I learned this from a book called Bless, B-L-E-S-S, -S, uh, written by Dave Ferguson. And he has a backronym, and he uses the backronym BLESS. How do we become people who bless other people? How do we become people who live surprising lives? The key way to live a, a surprising life is to choose to become a blesser. Someone who blesses other people. Someone who has prioritized the other in mind. Listen, I know your life is super interesting, but it's not that interesting. To live a really interesting, surprising life is to flip the script on its head. And to become someone who's focused primarily on blessing and caring about others. And when doing so, it leads to an interesting life. So we're going to go through this. B-L-E-S-S. -S. I want to give you some practical tools. And you're going to be able to write some things down. And it's going to be really exciting. And you're going to be so excited by the end. Okay. So bless. But begin with prayer. Listen. Eat. Serve. And tell your story. Now well, let me just establish why we have to bless. Why bless? Why should I bless and care about other people's lives? Why not just focus on my own life? Well, let me tell you a story. Dave Ferguson is a pastor in Chicago, Illinois, USA, Earth. <laughs> and he shares a story of research of two teams of missionaries that go to the country of Thailand, okay? Thailand in Asia. Thailand in Asia. Two groups of missionaries. And one group were the converters, and the other group, well, the blessers. The both teams went with similar goals, but they went with completely different strategies. The converters group, in this research, the converters went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing people. Their goal was primarily to save souls. We got to get the souls saved. The blessers group, their primary uh, thesis statement was, we're here to bless anybody that God sends our way. And so the interesting thing is that the study followed these two groups, both missionary groups that went to Thailand for two years. They stu the study followed the converters and the blessers. And here's what they found. At the end of the time, there was two key findings that they found, that they discovered. First, the presence of the blessers. 
in the community resulted in a tremendous amount of social good. It appeared that the group had contributed to the betterment of society, the community life, and the creation of social capital, which means after two years, the blessers had a really good reputation in their region. People loved them. And there was like demonstrably better things happening in the community as a result of the blessers being involved. And the presence of the converters, however, it seemed to have made no difference. No one knew who they were. No one seemed to care that they were there. The second discovery, and this is key, very key. The second discovery, and this is very surprising, was that the blessers, the people who focused primarily on blessing everyone in the neighborhood, saw 48 people come to know and understand and come into life with Jesus. Their lives were radically shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as blessers. On the other hand, the converters, guess how many folks came into life with Jesus, found life with Jesus? Guess. I heard two twos. Wrong. One. So one, one, one person came into life with Jesus. Verses 48. And the, what, the people that their primary purpose was to convert people couldn't do it, but the blessers were somehow able to make all these people, or not make them, but have them come into life with Jesus. The bottom line in this story, why do we bless? What we discover, one of the best ways to accomplish Jesus' mission, to participate in the mission of God, is to love each other, to serve each other, to bless the people in our community. Because there's something about blessing that makes sense to the outside watching world. So how do we do it? Be and bless. Begin with prayer. That's the first way. Begin with prayer. When Jesus started his earthly mission, he often went off on a mountainside alone to pray. Do you do that? Do I do that? Prayer is how you discover God's will for your life. And prayer is also how you and I learn how to bless other people. Did you know that God wants to give you special information about other people? Not so you can blackmail them for your job, but, or blackmail them in any situation for any reason. But, but the Lord wants to give you information about the people in your life so that you can bless them. And the more responsible you are with that information, the more information he will trust you with. Do you understand that, God, what do you want me to see? Well, how do you want me to do? When you pray over and over again, we see Jesus retreating in prayer. Over and over again, we see the early church retreating to pray, to say, God, what are you up to? What are you up to with my neighbors? What are you up to with my community? Now, if you're not sure how to pray or who to pray for or who God is calling you to bless, and you're like, God, who, like, where should I begin? Where should I begin? Um, I want to offer you a tool. Um, and can we have the, can we do the miracle of sharing and just start hand, just pass them around and watch them just go all out? Um, I want to share a tool. How you can begin to pray and just get it started, Nick, and the wildfire will catch on. That's right. Uh, if you want to, if you don't know who to bless, I'm going to offer you um, a solution here. We call it hashtag. Uh, we have um, some pastors in Denver who call it the diagram of shame. We've worked that out. We call it hashtag. 
Because diagram of shame, you know, it sounds a little shameful, right? Am I right? Okay, so uh, what is this? How does this work? How's the, uh, if you can see it behind me, that's a hashtag. That's a very artistic hashtag. It's just like, ah, I painted it. So what you see are two hashtags in front of you. How do you begin to pray? How do you pray? Well, in the top one, one of the ways that you can, you think of nine people that you want to pray and bless. You don't necessarily have to pray for their conversion, although that is a wonderful thing. You don't necessarily have to pray that God smites them. So don't put like, you know, the president of Russia. Oh, I hope God gets him. You know, like you want to pick people in your life that you know. And you list nine of them. And then you just put that somewhere safe. Like don't put it on your front window. Uh, (laughs) And what you do is you pray for them every day. Say, God, um, I ask that you would bless these people. And then a second prayer you can pray there on that first hashtag, is God, how do you want me to care for and bless these people? And what you will find is that if you list nine people in your life, it could be from work, or it could be people in your life who really need a touch or a hand from God who are in your family, whatever it is, wherever they are, as you pray for them regularly, you will find the inclination of your heart will be to move towards these people. You will find yourself spending more time with them. You will find too many, um, I don't know, coincidences that start to take place as a result of praying for them. Why is that? It means that the Holy Spirit, what we found, at least in our life, is that the Holy Spirit is at work. That God is partnering with you as you pray and prioritize these nine people in your life. And what you will find is there will be opportunities to bless and care for them. So if you're like, I'm so confused, I don't know where to begin, just take nine names and write them down and begin to pray for them. Pray for them every day. And if you can't remember to pray for them every day, or if you're sometimes like me, you're like, oh God, I know that list is buried somewhere. Can you please bless all of them? Amen. But like, just start to move towards there. Just start to do that. Now, the second thing that you can do with the second hashtag this is a little bit trickier but this one is really fun this comes from the book the art of neighboring by jay pathic and what you want to do is in the center the center square you want to write your name so for instance uh for those who don't understand in the center square i would write chris because that's my name okay and in the center square you would write your name what you want to do with the remaining squares is you want to write down the names of your neighbors that actually live in physical proximity to you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now, for some of you, that's really easy. I can tell because you're making great eye contact with me. (laughs) For the... (laughs) You're like, yeah, bring it. Now, what you want to do is you want to list who's, who's catty corner, who's above me, or like who's like to the north of me and the south of me. Well, you, whatever the directional situation is, you want to write the neighbor's names. Now, if you don't know your neighbor's names, that's a great place to start. And then what you want to do is you want to begin to pray for them. And then over time, you want to get to know them. Like, what do I know about my neighbors? Do I know their first name? Do I know their last name? Do I know their social security number and where they keep their family heirlooms? No. What you want to do is get to know them. Like, what are their hopes? What are their dreams? What do they do for work? How long have they been in the city? How long do they plan to stay in the city? And what you're doing is you're slowly but surely, you're trying to get to know your neighbors and you're trying to pray for their blessing. And what happens when we bless and get to know our actual neighbors? Coincidences happen. Things begin to happen. Jesus literally said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second greatest commandment is, 
Love your neighbor. And what he meant by neighbor is neighbor. Your actual neighbor. That's right. <laughs> Patrick's mouthing actual neighbor. I'm like, yeah, that's better. I should have said that. <laughs> so actual neighbors. Like, what if... Uh, so you want to transform a city. If you look at L.A. and you're like, this is dirty or this is angry or there's a lot of bad things happening. Do you want to know where it begins? I think, and Jay Pathak's theory is, if Christians were actually neighbors with their neighbors, you might actually make an impact on your neighbors. And if you were to do that, some of those people would come into life with Jesus. Some of those people would experience the power of the living God as a result of your presence. Some of them may never commit to God, but they will respect you. They will respect the fact that you've chosen to live your life in such a way that blesses the community. And if you were to leave that apartment complex, if you were to leave that neighborhood, there would be a demonstrable uh, absence. They would feel the absence of you not being in that building or in that neighborhood. That's what we're going for here, folks. And it begins with knowing your neighbor's names, knowing what they do, inviting them to brunch. And also, if you don't like them, just pray for them. <laughs> I love my neighbors. Not sure I like them. I'm not, that's, I don't, that's a joke. I actually like my neighbors. Um, but we begin with prayer. How do you pray? List nine people you know in your life. Second way you pray, you list your neighbors and start to pray regularly. And what you will find is that God will add to the number daily those who are being saved. And God will provide opportunities for you to make a difference in their lives. That's B. Begin with prayer. The second way that you can bless the people in your life is to L. Listen. Did you know a great way to get to know people is to listen to them? Listening to somebody will help you get to know them. Asking questions was central to Jesus' life and his ministry. In the Gospels, the four stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the primary stories about Jesus, did you know that Jesus asked more questions than he answered? Of the 183 different questions he received, he only actually answered a handful of them. Any relationship that's worth having in your life starts with listening to someone's words and listening to their life. True listening may be the most loving and the kindest thing that you can do for somebody else. Now, if you're not sure what to ask, say you're more introverted or say you despise other people. And you want, you're like, Lord, soften my heart. And I want to follow you, but also people are the worst. I have something that can help you navigate, okay? Um, so how do you navigate that? It's simple. And it's, and it's the name of a car company. That's right, Ford. That's right, America. Ford, F-O-R-D. So this is what you should do to help you listen to people, F-O-R-D. If you don't know what to do, if you're at a cocktail party, you're at the neighborhood barbecue, um, if you're being normal in public transportation and you strike up a conversation, you just don't launch into this, what I'm about to tell you, be normal, please be normal. One of the key things Christians can do is be normal in society, good Lord. Okay, so follow F-O-R-D. Don't follow Cadillac, follow F-O-R-D. F-O-R-D, Ford, what does it stand for? If you ask, start with family, begin with a question. So where are you from? Where's your family from? 
Oh, occupation. What do you do for work? Oh, you're out of work? Oh, you have a job? Oh, cool. You work with that famous person that does the thing with the thing? That's so great. You talk about their occupation. What do you plan on doing with your career? Where is your career headed? R, recreation. What do you do for fun? Oh, you play pickleball? So do we. Every Saturday morning, 7.45, we set up the nets. It's awesome. You should come. Yeah. Oh, a little forward? Okay, maybe we'll see you next week. D, dream. What's your dream? Now, you don't ask. Don't go up to someone that you don't know and be like, tell me about your family. <laughs> and don't do them out of order either. And you're like, what have you been dreaming about lately? <laughs> I would hope that you would understand context. I'm not belittling you, but I am belittling you. I would hope that you would understand context, that you're actually, so just tell me about your family. And most of you who I've gotten to know, did you know that we were running this play when I first met you? Because I don't know how to talk to people. I just go, so what's been going on? So you're from where? That's awesome, Gordon. I, yeah, your family, well, I got, the way we got to know Gordon was he brought his whole family here on the first day. So, I <laughs> uh, love man. Uh, so anyway, you just, you just follow those plays. And that is a, those, that's a basic way, baseline way, and as you get through Ford, you will find you might not even get to dream. You might not even get to D before people just start going on and they start talking about whatever. And what is your job in that moment? Is your job to watch their lips and face and nod your head waiting for them to stop talking so you can start talking? I mean, you'll get up here, talking, talking. I'm going to get to talking. No, the point of that is to listen and to learn. The way you bless people is to shut up and to listen to what other people have to say, okay? Now, I know that I get 30 minutes here right now, and it's not fair, but that's not my problem. Okay, so, <laughs> oh my gosh, we're falling all apart here. So, those questions, ask questions, become inquisitive, think of your favorite podcaster, um, and think of how good they are at asking questions. And then think of Jimmy Fallon, how bad he is at asking questions. Don't be Jimmy Fallon. Ask good questions. Okay, sorry to all the Jimmy Fallon fans in our audience today. All right, next one. We're only at BL. That was BL. Now, third one, E. What does E stand for? Eat. That's right. Eat. I like to eat. Uh, yeah, Charles likes to eat. Did you know another way to bless someone is to eat, not alone in your apartment, but to eat with them, to eat with them. We see that Jesus liked to eat over and over again. He sits down and he has a meal with Pharisees, with disciples, with tax collectors, with extremists. The dude ate with terrorist extremists. He even ate with Romans, the occupiers. What is he doing with them? He's eating. There's something about sharing a meal together with somebody else that moves the relationship past acquaintance into friendship. And it happens faster than pretty much anything else we can do. Last Saturday was Marin's 10th birthday. Uh, Marin is our daughter. And we had a birthday party. And at the front end of the birthday, so at about 10 years old, here's the deal. Parents don't stay as much. 
uh, for the pool party, they drop off and then they disappear. They're like, and they're like really frantic, like I can't believe I get this next three hours for myself. And they're like, yeah, okay, and they like kick them out the door, like tuck and roll, 10 year old, and they roll out of the car and we pick them up and we like brush them off and bring them to the pool area. And they're like, see you later, or maybe never. So they're like in and out, super fast, right? Do you understand the deal? Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, cool, I'll move faster. So we're doing the birthday party and it's like cloudy and dad has fun, uh, I was playing the new Skrillex music, uh, you know, because uh, Skrillex has a partnership with some other DJs, and it's like, and the parents are dropping off their kids, and they're like, bye, we'll see you, sweetheart. Make sure they don't die, and they walk out the door. And so we're, and it's uh, me, uh, my wife, and like 12, 12 uh, little girls. I, this, uh, this is not my comfort zone. But one of the dads drops off, and he's like, and I was like, hey, man, uh, the other day, I saw you wear this T-shirt of this band that we both really like. Um, and I've seen him a few times, and um, and I was like, that's awesome. I start like dropping like little bits of information to so to actually demonstrate that I know what the band is. Do you ever talk to someone and say they're a fan, but they really know nothing about the band? Well, I did just enough to prove myself to this guy, and he's like, yeah. He's like, really interesting. He's like, I'll come back and we'll have a drink. I was like, sure. Uh, and I never thought he was going to come back. So when we go, we do the thing with all the kids, uh, and um, it's glorious. Oh, so good just to be with all those children all at once. <laughs> Barf. Uh, so, uh, but at the end, this guy does show up. He's like, what's up? And he comes in, and he's like, hey, let's have a, let's have a tasty beverage. So I pour him a tasty beverage, and then I bring the tasty beverages out to the table, and then the party's starting to end, and all the parents are coming, and then all the kids are leaving, and then all the other parents are going away. And uh, before you know it, uh, Nicole had cleaned up the whole party, and this guy and I had hung out for three hours. <laughs> and he was going on and on about what he wished he would have done with music and this and that. We're talking about the band, or we're putting the favorite songs on the band. And we're laughing and having a great time. Was that what Nikki wanted me to do with my time? No, she wanted help with that folding table. But she also has a missional heart, and she believes in the blessed model. And she knew something was happening that was important there. So much so that he's like, I think he gave us hugs when he left. I mean, he's like sitting in her house, hunched over a little bit, feeling a little loose. And he's like, ah. And he just was like, he didn't want to leave. He was attracted to something that was happening. It wasn't me. He's, attra he's attracted to the Lord. The Lord was doing something. There. So a few days passed. We're going, uh, walking back from the last day of school, Marin and me. We're talking. Yeah, like, what are we going to do this summer? I don't know. What do you want to do? And, and <laughs> this dad with his daughter whips around the corner in his car, er, slams on the brake, rolls on the way. He's like, yeah. He's yelling to me. And I'm like, also the Lord. The Lord, like, who s screeches and peels out into an intersection to say hello to another dad? <laughs> it's the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2. I really do think that there's something there when we participate, when you eat with someone, or in this case, have a, have a drink with someone, it's really good. What happened the other day? I wanted to um, not do anything, but instead our neighbors came over and came swimming. And, yes, and... Um, and, you know, Nikki puts out a food tray, and then we start making food. And before you know it, we're in some of some very deep topics. We're in very deep top, topics, and we're cutting 
through some of the, the, bull, the bull crap of life, and they're seeing how our faith is informing the things that we do. There's something about breaking bread with one another that matters. This is why at Man City, uh, Pac City's premier men's group that meets on Thursday nights at 6.30 p.m., this is why we eat together. This is why we walk down to Chipotle and get it to go and sit in my living room. I always have to vacuum after everyone leaves. <laughs> you know what Chipotle is. Chipotle on your lap, you got to vacuum. And um, we've been eating together and forming friendship and praying for one another, asking each other about each other's life. And now I'm starting to wonder, as the group has been starting to wonder, how do we begin to include people that might not have life with Jesus? Why? Well, I don't know. Maybe because one of the great epidemics in American culture is male loneliness. Men don't understand what it means to be a man. And I'm not talking that toxic masculinity stuff, so don't email me. But if you have to email me, email me at patrick at pacificcitychurch.com. <laughs> it's a confusing. Like, what does it mean to be a Christ-following man in the modern world? Now, if I went around and asked all the men or the women in this room, you'd probably get thousands of uh, different definitions. That's real. But coming together and including and trying to at least be with each other and encourage each other to be the best version of ourselves that we possibly can be, to be the kind of person that reflects the values of Christ. We had a conversation yesterday. Most men after a certain age have like no good friends. Maybe eating together is the way to do that. And then maybe you can join us this Saturday at noon to play pickle, uh, not pickleball. You can join us this Saturday at noon to shoot paintballs, which we might do. But there's something about eating together, doing an activity together that matters. Uh, so yeah, consider it. Make it a weekly habit. Consider a weekly habit. Get together with someone that doesn't know or love Jesus and break bread with them and see what happens. All right, we got to keep moving. S, the first S, serve. Uh, Jesus told his followers, as he tells us straight up, S, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others. Listen, if you're praying for people, if you're listening to whatever they're talking about, if you're eating with them, what is going to happen? There's a good chance you're going to discover how to serve someone. And what does it mean to serve someone? Well, honestly, if the God of the universe is ordaining moments in our lives. It means that every interaction, every favor that's asked of you, every little moment where a human being in your life exposes a tiny bit of a need or a big need, all of that becomes an opportunity to serve them. And when we look at every human interaction that we have, when we walk down the street, when we walk into our building, when we walk into work, when we walk in with our family, wherever our family is, when we walk into those situations, um, you will be surprised what will happen if you choose to serve them. Their lives will, they, they will respond well to it, obviously. But this means that when someone in your building is having trouble bringing in their groceries, what you, Help them with your groceries. Help them with your groceries and their groceries. Excuse me. Help them with their groceries. Uh, the other day, Nicole, uh, one of her neighbors, was carrying both his groceries in. Um, she doesn't look good in the story, so brace yourselves. 
it's okay to laugh. It's funny. She walked in. She had, the guy had both his groceries, and the guy's like in his early 20s. Early. He's not even 25. He can't even rent a car. Let me finish the story. Okay. <laughs> so, so he come in with groceries from Trader Joe's, and my wife does the oldest person thing ever. She opens the door all creepy, and she goes, and you were leaving. She's opened the door, and she's walking on. He's like walking up. He's going to go up the stairs, like pass us. You know, if you've ever been to our house? If you haven't been, you should come over. We neighbor. And so you can, she's going up the stairs, and she goes, you just want to bring those right into my fridge. You just want to bring them right into the fridge. And this poor sap can't even rent a car. This 14-year-old that somehow got an apartment. If you keep pushing me, I'll go lower and lower. Stop. Okay, so he's carrying, the guy could barely muster out the, like, the fake laugh. And here's how it sounded. I heard it from the other room. And she's like, you want to just bring those right into my fridge? And he goes, <laughs> That's not adding anything to this sermon. <laughs> you help people with their groceries. Uh, someone down the street, one time, I'm driving, and I had this pastor who was visiting from another state, so I want to make sure I looked real good, and I was given the opportunity. We're driving down the road. Uh, there's a neighbor right around the corner. Um, she's unpacking her groceries, and a box of LaCroix breaks on the street. It goes everywhere. And we run out. We get all of them. And she's like, oh, thank you so much for helping. And she goes, would you like a LaCroix? And I was like, I'm sorry. I only drink Topo Chico. <laughs> anyway, uh, you help your neighbors. Every human interaction, every human interaction that we have is an opportunity to serve. It means when someone asks to come over and swim, even though you want to watch the NBA Finals, you make space. It means going above and beyond with your coworkers. If they need help with a project at work, serve them. They need your help. You might not even get credit for what you do. But it's an important opportunity to serve when you can. It means being available to be a last-minute babysitter when something happens, when there's an emergency happening with the family. Whatever it is, there are opportunities around you. The hard part is coming to the realization that it's going to cost you something. Like to serve someone means you can't serve yourself in that moment which means it's going to cost you something, but it's worth it. Serving others is worth it. Why? Because Jesus said it was worth it for you. Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have a relationship with him, and he chose to serve us. That's why we serve. Last S, and then let's get out of here. Uh, story. In the life of Jesus... We see that Jesus would share his story and he encouraged the disciples to share their stories only when they were moving, other people were moving towards them. After they had blessed people, after they had cared about people, people felt relationally safe to ask, why is it that you do what you do? How in the world did you heal me? How did all those things happen? That's when you begin or when you can talk about the love of God. How do you share your story? How do you share your story? And I really want to help, I really want to help you here because a lot of people get really discouraged and they are like, oh no, I forgot the, the Romans road. Or like, do I need to draw the thing with the napkin of like, there's like a two sides of a bridge and Jesus thing. Maybe you learned how to share your faith that way. The evangelism tactics of how to get someone saved. I want to simplify it for you. 
when people start to finally ask you about your life, after you've blessed them and encouraged them and listened to them and have eaten with them, by the time it gets to that point, what is it you think they're looking for? Are you, do you really think in that first moment they're really looking for an in-depth theological um, you know, exposition or expository preaching uh, from you about Jesus, the Trinitarian God. No, they're looking to hear how God has made an impact on your life. And there's a really great model of this. In um, Jesus is um, working with a blind man. Uh, there's a blind man. Okay? He's been blind since birth. And Jesus comes up, he's like, do you want to be healed? The guy's like, yeah. And so then Jesus gets all like Jesus-y on him, and he puts mud in his eyes, right? The next logical thing I would do, right? And he puts mud in his eyes, and then he says, you can see now. And then mud comes off, he's like, oh my gosh, I can see. So then Jesus goes, don't tell anyone. And then like Jesus always does this thing where he disappears. Like he's not, like he does, Jesus invented the Irish goodbye, okay? He does not say goodbye to people. He just disappears, right? And so, you know, it's like, I don't know where he goes. And so all the religious leaders are like, hey, what happened here? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, and they're like, how did, how, what, by what authority? He's like, listen, I don't know. And, and then they finally corner him, and he goes, listen, here's the deal. Here's what I know. I was blind. Then Jesus put mud in my eyes, but now I can see. I was blind, Jesus put mud in my eyes, and now I can see. There's three parts to the way you can share your story, and it doesn't include a deep theological thing at first. There might be a moment where you need to explain substitutionary atonement to somebody, how Jesus substituted himself and died in our place to take on sins and destroy them for forever, and he is victorious over all because of what happened on the cross. That may need to happen in the way you share your faith, but it generally doesn't start there. It starts with, I was blind. I met Jesus, and now I can see. What do I mean? My life before Jesus. What was your life like before Jesus? Did you grow up in church knowing a lot about Jesus and then you finally took your faith seriously? Did you have a radical encounter with the living God at some point in your life? What was it like when you met Jesus? How did you become a Christ flower? Did you go through a particularly tough time where things started to click for you? Did a friend invite you to a church service? Did a family member introduce you? Did you get, did an experience with God inspire you to Get serious about committing your life to Jesus. And then the third part, my life since I met Jesus. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? I would hope so. Talk about that. Talk about how Jesus has made an impact in your life. And I would encourage you uh, to include both the good times and the hard times. Like some of you have had some really powerful experiences in the past, and some of you might be going through some tough things today. Include the good and the bad. It's okay to include your real story, your authentic story. People are more impacted by your story when they can somehow validate in your tone, your story, and your voice, and what they already know about you, that what you're saying is true about you. 
And you can be honest about the challenges you continue to face. Listen, following Jesus doesn't mean life is going to be perfect. We know that. Why? Because of our lived experience. So why put on a shiny story for someone? If they finally ask you about your life with Jesus, don't put on a shiny story that isn't true. Be real about where you're at, even if you are facing challenges. Because what you're trying to show them is the reality. The reality is, is that the power of Jesus walks with us, even in hard times. Um, the important part is for you to be you. Like, don't tell someone else's story. It's called lying. <laughs> don't try to sound like somebody else. You know, um, I, I, I used to work at another church, and there was this guy there that he was a lead pastor, his name was Rich. And all the younger preachers would always sound like rich at first when they would preach because they had yet to gain their own voice. And the same is true for any kind of communication. If you're going to share, if you're, if someone's going to be bold enough to actually ask your story, you have to be the kind of person that just speaks authentically, even if it's not clear at first. Speak from your heart. Tell your story. Be you. Don't try to sound like somebody else. It's your story. And it should sound like you. And then you should keep it real. Like I said, don't sugarcoat it. Authenticity is the key. Tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. Authenticity connects with others. Okay? And lastly, unlike this sermon, keep it short. <laughs> no one asked you for a sermon. They didn't. Like... Have you ever talked to someone that hasn't spoken to anyone in a while, especially after COVID? They're like, bada, 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 bada. And you're like, dude, I wish we had one of those chess clocks because I would have all the time. They wouldn't be running out of time because they're talking. Only me? I only think about people that talk too much uh, as I'm talking too much. Listen, when you try to tell chunks of your story. You don't have to get it all out in one breath. And if they don't want to hear it all or they change subjects, that's okay. You tell parts of your story and you make a conversational as much as you can. Don't give them a sermon. Look, I'm going to close now. And I want to ask God to do some things in the room, and I want some of you to respond. Um, your life revolving around you isn't that interesting because everybody else is doing it. Everyone else in Los Angeles is doing Project Self. So you doing Project Self doesn't really seem great. I mean, it is great. Sure, good. I hope you make a million dollars this year or whatever you decide to do. But... The surprising life, the surprising life, the, li the kind of lives that we get excited to be around isn't built around you or your own desires or your bank account. Building your life around being a surprising person because you've encountered the living God, that's interesting. That's unique. That's a story that could be worth telling and I think, that, I think that's way more exciting so my challenge to you, and of course my challenge to me, for me, choose to live your life to bless others and join up with the adventure of what God is already doing in the world. Amen? Why don't we all stand?